Welcome to With That Being Said, a podcast on life, love, and everything in between. I'm so glad you've decided to join the conversation. Hi, I'm Esther Boykin. And I'm Erica Turner. With that being said, it takes a village. Indeed it does. Yes, I am looking for, I've been looking forward to today's episode because certainly as therapists, we talk a lot about, you know, the importance of social circle and having your support network. I think today's guest brings us sort of an interesting take on the importance of community. I mean, if we certainly takes a village, you know, we sort of assume that around parenting. Right. Um, but it's true everywhere. Yeah. And I also think this is a bit of a change of pace for us. Um, in terms of, you know, we don't usually talk about sort of entrepreneurial pursuits other than with each other. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) So this is kind of a nice, you know, switch kind of from our usual sort of field of work, Um, but still kind of dovetails with a lot of the stuff that we're doing. Dovetails, not dub steps, which I think (laughs) is where my brain was going. (laughs) What were you doing this weekend? (laughs) Not anything interesting enough to be thinking about dubstep, but... <laughs> well, maybe that's what it is. You're thinking about how to spice up next weekend. <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> All right. Well, let's welcome today's guest and uh, let's start talking a little bit about community and entrepreneurship. Yes. Should be a great conversation. So today's guest with us is Sequoia Blodgett. Am I saying your last name right? Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Sequoia is the founder and CEO at 7am.life, as well as starring on Startup You on ABC Family. I am excited to talk with you today and find out more about all of those big things. Yeah, sure. I'm super excited to be here. Great. If you don't mind, let's start with Startup You, because we were talking and I was saying, you know, I don't know a ton about it. I've watched some episodes, but how did you get involved and what's the process been like? And and tell us a little bit more about that. Yes. So Startup You actually came to fruition from a entrepreneurship kind of boot camp called Draper University. Um, So initially, Tim Draper, who is a third generation venture capitalist, decided that he wanted to figure out a way to teach entrepreneurship because you can go to, you know, get an MBA, which can get you a C-level exec job, like a CEO, CFO, uh, what have you. But he wanted to see if he could actually teach the art of entrepreneurship and find the next Mark Zuckerberg, find the next big Facebook, Google, Skype. Um, So he created this university and put together this really interesting, very unorthodox, very unique curriculum. And I went through the program October of last year. And going through the program, I ended up getting an investment from him. I was the only person in my class to get an initial upfront investment and then a match deal on the end. Um, I came back in January of this year stayed on board as an entrepreneur in residence. And during that time, we were actually being looked at by a couple of networks to become a reality show because we're literally like a survivor meets apprentice meets Shark Tank meets real world. <laughs> like all smash the best description one. ever. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. So we got looked at um, by three different networks. ABC Family ended up picking us up and they turned Draper University into a reality show. All of the episodes are on Hulu, so if you guys hadn't gotten the chance to check it out, it's definitely on Hulu, and you can look it up there, too. So, yeah, that's the the journey of Draper U to Startup U. Gotcha. 
So what do you do sort of as the entrepreneur in residence? Do you do like time drills for the entrepreneurs and make them, because <laughs> you said there was like an apprentice slash survivor element. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really interesting. So, and the way that that curriculum works is to like have them go to the middle of San Francisco Union Square with like placards and they have to sell like underwear to people. Or he'll have them like, Go And that's like his way of them evangelizing their businesses and understanding like how you have to push an entrepreneur and how you have to sell, even if it's something that's really uncomfortable for you. Um, He'll have them go out and they have something called Survivor Week where they're out in the woods with like no electricity, no phones, nothing that would tie them to the real world. And they literally have to work with this team. And even though some of them don't like their team members, they have to learn how to work through it because that's the way that they're going to survive during the survivor week. So there's a lot of really unorthodox activities that they do. Myself as an entrepreneur in residence, I kind of oversee the business side. So when they come into the program, some of them are at ideation stage, which means they're still developing ideas. Some of them have actually gone on and had concepts who have come to market and are trying to now scale those concepts or grow those concepts. So what I do is I look at their businesses and I kind of mentor them and help them along the way and say, Hey, like, this is the next step. This is what you need to do. And that follows along with our curriculum as well. So I just make sure that they're really on point in tune to what they're pitching for pitch day, because ultimately the goal is for them to pitch and get investment from Tim Draper. Gotcha. That sounds awesome. It does. And it sounds like such a good building of a community. I mean, in addition to being a therapist, I'm obviously also an entrepreneur. I started the practice and then sort of, you know, slowly in that process of building the business. And sometimes that's a really lonely experience. And I'm just curious what your own personal experience has been like in terms of kind of feeling like you're out there. And, and a lot of people don't get it. They don't get the drive and the passion and the stress and the loneliness and all of that. And how is that, you know, Draper you, Startup you? sort of facilitated maybe some community around those experiences? I love that question because it's such a good one. So the way that Draper University has been set up is it's an ecosystem. So Draper University is one side of the bigger picture. And then across the street is Hero City, which is like our working spaces, angel investors, uh, venture capitalists, they all work out of that. And then on the bottom is Boost, which is an accelerator for uh, virtual reality and Bitcoin. So every single person here is working on something and we all kind of scratch each other's backs. Whereas if you're an entrepreneur and you're just starting out and you didn't have that community and that network, you're literally doing it by yourself, right? So for me, I am an introvert by nature. A lot of people wouldn't know that, but like, I like to be by myself. Like I don't, it doesn't bother me, but a lot of people it does bother. But when I get to the point where I actually have a question, because having a business in the beginning, everything goes wrong, like literally (laughs) everything. So to be able to pop downstairs or pop across the street and say, Hey, listen, this is what's happening with me. Can you guys help? And there's somebody who's already had that experience and has already gone to it and through it and solved that problem. It makes it that much more easier, right? So for me, the ecosystem is like an incredible addition to my entrepreneurship journey because I think without it, I'd be a lot more stressed. I tried to go back to LA in the beginning as soon as I graduated because I was like, oh, I have this investment now I should go and I should like really hit the pavement because that's where I came from. But once I got there, I was like, the community is not here. People don't know what the hell I'm talking about. They're like, what is this stripper university? <laughs> and what are you talking about? Because the minds here are like so next level. 
Like you go downstairs and people are like innovating or just disrupting industries. Like it's like on such a, a large level that like a lot of people, when they hear stuff like that, they're just not ready for it. Right. Which is the reason why Silicon Valley exists because we're innovative and we're creating the future for people to like feed into. Right. So for me to be able to go downstairs and really have that connection and be able to have that experience and talk to entrepreneurs who are in the same space as me and who are in the same place and some of them who have also exceeded that and be able to get that help like is invaluable. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That sounds like a great resource just that to have that community is so important, you know, regardless of what you're doing. Um, and I wanted to talk with you a little bit more about, you know, what you are doing, what your business is, the 7am life, but you could sort of touch on, you know, what the goals of that are and, um, just tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. I'm so excited about 7am and like what it has to bring to the table because it just, my whole goal and my mission in life is to help people, right? Like that's my overarching goal. And that's always been my passion. Um, before I got into entrepreneurship, I was working as a creative, as a music video commercial director, and it just wasn't fulfilling the passion that I, I felt like I had a bigger purpose and it wasn't fulfilling that purpose the way that I envisioned. So I got into, I ended up in a really interesting situation last year, May of 2014, where I got ended up hospitalized and got really, really sick. And while I was hospitalized, I kind of started to reflect and I was like, what if this was it? Like, what if this was like the end? Because they didn't know what was going on with me. I didn't know what was going on with me. And it was like that destitute at the time. So when I got through it and, and obviously things were okay, I started to think to myself, like, what, what legacy do I really want to leave? And so that's where 7 a.m. was birth. It was literally like, I want to help people become the best versions of themselves that they could possibly be. So I started this company. It actually started as Love & Cut, which was an online uh, app that you can download on your phone. It was all about relationship advice because I felt like that was such a space that needed so much help. Like there was all these dating apps that showed you like how to get in relationships, but there was nothing showing you how to stay in them, Right. So I started with that. And then as I went on and went forward, I, st- I, I spoke to the former CTO of Match.com and I started talking about these e-learning platforms. And he was like, you know what? I really like what you're doing with Love Uncut, but you could potentially have a bigger opportunity with 7 a.m. Um, having the e-learning course platform. So I pivoted my idea and I started down that journey and that path probably about a month ago um, and really like went full-fledged, built out the platform myself, like started onboarding um, experts and really just started to tap out their uh, user bases. And so far, so good. It's been a really good journey. I'm super excited about it. I'm seeing so much traction and people are excited about it as well. And my vision for that is just to really help people understand, like when you go to school, you learn like trigonometry or you learn geometry or algebra or whatever it is, right? But when do you actually apply that in your life? Like, when do you learn like actual life skills, like personal development, how to cope with stress, how to have and stay in that amazing relationship? You know, so that is essentially what the vision of 7am is. And now we're adding something really cool called accountability coaches, because what we're seeing is some people will come on the platform and, and sign up and then they don't use it. So it's like a way for them to pacify themselves. It's like, okay, I've signed up. I'm moving in 
a good direction, but then I just don't use it. <laughs> so what I'm doing now is I'm offering accountability coaches where if you sign up for a course, you can also sign up to have a coach who will literally go through the process with you every week, checking in on you, making sure that they answer any questions that you have. They're talking very directly to our experts to make sure that they're in line with the course uh, curriculum. And they're just making sure that you stay in, in the process and complete the course so that you actually get the knowledge from it. So that's like my bigger vision for it is just making sure like we can obviously make money, like everybody needs help and people are, are, are looking for that help. But I want to make sure that they're implementing that help and like getting to the next level. So that's the vision. <laughs> I really like the piece about sort of adding in that accountability coach. And I mean, for me, it's sort of that idea of, again, building community, giving people a, like a human connection in addition to that extra knowledge. Because you're right. I mean, clearly as therapists, you know, <laughs> we, we can preach from the you know mountaintop all day. I mean, that's certainly all about everything that we're about and our passion and, and our work is about helping people really develop those skills in terms of building their life and, and the things we don't learn in school, but the things that actually matter the most to us as we move through adulthood, even before right. adulthood. Um, I think the connection that I really like, and I wanted to just touch on quickly is the part of you that's an entrepreneur and the part of you that has this passion for really kind of helping people with personal development, because I think in sort of the entrepreneurship circles, there is this, challenge around things like stress and, and mental health. And, you know, I mean, periodically, we just sort of, I, you know, I was saying to Erica, I feel like, you know, every six months or so, there's sort of this really tragic story about somebody who's, who's innovating, who's doing, as you said, who's sort of like 10 steps ahead of where whatever industry they're in is at. And that can be a really lonely place. And then you get, if you're struggling in any way, who do you turn to and who sort of helps you? And I mean, there's been some really I think just sort of really tragic stories. Oh gosh, I can't, now I'm not thinking of her name, but from Miss Jessie's and I know there was, uh, you know, another entrepreneur recently um, out in Silicon Valley and, you know, that are losing their life because they, you know, in part, they don't have that same resource to reach out to people. So I'm just curious if you see what kind of overlap you see between sort of the part of you that's the entrepreneur in that circle and the part of you who's sort of working with these, these experts around, personal development and in and, and health and wellness and sort of living your best life? <laughs> yeah, I love that question because that's definitely true. And I've, I've definitely heard about a lot of that and it's tragic and it happens after they have gone through so much and it's already too late, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so for us, we want to be preventative. We want to get it before you get to that step, right? Because then, I mean, it's it's hard to bring you back. So having those tools and having those resources, especially for entrepreneurs, it's super important, especially like our course 21 Days of Stress Relief. Like a lot of people don't understand that like just meditating can help to calm the mind and help to refocus you and reshape you and, and focus whatever your journey is. It helps to guide you. And people have it connected on that deep level because for some reason, so for some people expect in entrepreneurship, especially being like the logical like engineers, it feels a little woo-woo for them, right? But it actually works. So we're, our goal is to help to assist and facilitate everyone across the board, whether you be that engineer in Silicon Valley or that little girl in our, you know, a woman in Ohio who's dealing with her kids who can't figure out like what to do with them, you know? 
So we, my mission is to have courses for every single person on the planet and have, give them access. And especially now having like experts who are super busy and like having like, I'll watch like, like Tony Gaskins. I literally watched his feed yesterday and he's like a relationship expert. And these women are like, we need help. We need help. And it's like a million people, like <laughs> him, one after the next, after the next. And that's not scalable for him. He just doesn't have the time, right? right? So our goal is to just help facilitate that and give him a platform where he can now talk to people on the ma- on a massive level, but also have somebody associated with him where they can continue to follow up and facilitate that conversation um, through the courses and kind of guide them through the process. And I think that's reflective of, of every single industry. Anybody can benefit from that. All right. So I have one final question. <laughs> yeah. What has it been like? And I know, you know, it's not actually real world, but, you know, or Survivor, but what is that whole reality TV show life like? I mean, what, how has that been just in terms of like your personal life and just that whole process? Because, you know, we call it reality TV, but, you know, I think most of us sort of watching it like that seems far from reality. Like it's TV, right? Right. Well, what's interesting about us is we weren't created as a reality show. So like Mark Burnett Productions, he created Shark Tank. Like we weren't created. We were already here. Somebody just came and put a microscope on top of what was already happening. So for me personally, it wasn't an uncomfortable feeling. It wasn't like, oh my God, like now we have to do these scripted, like, you know, setups and like all that stuff. It wasn't like that. It was like, okay, we're just, we're here and we're putting cameras on what's already going on. And so it wasn't uncomfortable and something that we had to do. Um, but what's interesting is as a creative, I worked behind the scenes as a director for nine years. So for me now to be on camera, I was like, okay, this is different. <laughs> a lot of me still has like the director Sequoia in me where I'm like, okay, well, what about like if we shot this? <laughs> but what about you guys should capture this right now? Okay, like let's do this. And I had to pull myself out of it and be like, uh, no, like that's not your job. Your job is to do your job as an EIR and that is it. So that was interesting for me. But I think just overall, it hasn't been a really strange experience. It's it's definitely interesting being on the other side of the camera and being talent. Um, I had a really interesting experience because like back, back in the day, I would say early in my career, like I wasn't even directing music videos at this point. I was a talent escort for BET. So during their award shows, I would have to take the artist around like to every single like media outlet and make sure that they like got all their media taken care of and like we just did tca in the beginning of this month this one or last one i can't remember but basically i was that person that people were taking around to the different media outlets and like it was so strange because we're like in this room and it's like all the abc family shows and all abc and disney and I'm looking to my left, and it's like the cast of Scandal, and I'm like, oh my god! And I'm like, over here, it's like the cast of How to Get Away with Murder, and I'm like, oh my god! And I'm just like freaking out because I'm like, these people have worked so hard to get to where they are, and like I'm standing in the same room and walking the same carpet as them. Like it was just a very surreal experience. So I think that's probably been the biggest part of me that's been. And like okay like this is different but aside from that I think just it being a reality show it doesn't really bother me because I mean it's already a program so gotcha. that makes sense yeah and that sounds like a lot of fun like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah the worst part is like showing up and realizing you're in the same room with you know Carrie Washington and everyone from Scandal yes. probably <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was so crazy all right well 
Sequoia, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, hopefully everyone will check out 7am.life online, check out the courses that are coming up and, um, and get an accountability coach because you're going to need one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, um, and definitely get on Hulu and look for startup use, so you can watch the Survivor meets real world meets Shark Tank meets Apprentice fabulousness that is that show. And um, and you can also follow Sequoia on Twitter at Sequoia B, which is always easy for me to remember because I'm at Esther B, MFT. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on today. Thanks Thank so much, Sequoia. Thank you. Bye. 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 Oh, so that was a great conversation, I think, with Sequoia. Yeah, I'm really glad that she could join us. And it was really interesting to me just across all of the different things that she's doing, the role that community and and, and support sort of plays, even in, you know, her, you know, 7 a.m. life and even in how she's shaping that as an entrepreneur and sort of, you know, that even there she's recognizing that those customers for her also need to have their own community and their own support system with the coaches and stuff. That's really interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, particularly since entrepreneurial pursuits are kind of seen as like individual endeavors, like it's, you know, there's this image of like, there's this one man or one woman mm-hmm. who's doing all the work. But the reality is that almost nothing of any sort of, you know, larger scope gets off the ground just with one person. Almost everything involves a community of people sort of behind that one person yes. um, supporting them and both providing tangible support and then, you know, emotional support and just, you know, being being there for them. Um, yeah. I know. I totally agree with that. And I think that's the thing that I, um, and I think you and I have talked a little bit about that. One of the challenges of being an entrepreneur and being in that is that there is this idea that it's just one person. And so not only is that not really an accurate picture for the rest of us looking from the outside, but I think when you start down that road as starting a new venture, that there's this pressure or this sense that you're supposed to like do it by yourself or mostly by yourself and how overwhelming and lonely and stressful that would be. Right. To try and just, you know, launch a business all on your own without your friends or your partner or your family. It just isn't really feasible. I don't think for, for most people. I mean, I'm sure somebody has done it, (laughs) but that person is, you know, probably crazy now because that seems incredibly hard (laughs) and stressful. It, I mean, it already is right. Like launching a business, you would know is already stressful and difficult, even when you have people who are supportive and on your team and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think kind of going back to something that, I think you mentioned in the the beginning was as a therapist, you know, we talk about the importance of a community Mm -hmm. and I don't know about you, but one of the things that when I have a client who has a very limited support network or no support network, that's always one of the most concerning um, scenarios for me as a therapist that you really want each person to have a network of people, people they can go to, people they can tell their secrets to, that kind of thing. And when they don't have that, it's always a little bit more more worrying in the sense of like, okay, what are we going to need 
how are we going to do this? How are we yeah. going to build your community? How are we going to build your network? It does, it really shifts the the goal of therapy. Like that becomes sort of like the primary thing. And I definitely have, you know, over the years I have clients and, you know, I'll say like, I understand you came in for X and I'm going to help you with X, but I need you to understand that in order for us to get to X, like we have to start by making sure you have this community of people because as much as I try to be available, I am not available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I think that translates to lots of other relationships is that it's unrealistic to expect that even one person is going to be able to take care of all of your needs all of the time. Right. That's just not a realistic expectation to have of anybody, your therapist, your spouse, your children, your friends, your parents. And so I think it is really important to, yeah, like you, when I say, when I ask a client, like, well, who do you tell your secrets to? Mm -hmm. Or who do you talk to about this? And their answer is just you. Yeah. Then I start to worry. And I I recognize there's some things that, yes, (laughs) we just want to talk to our therapist about. Right. And that's okay. But in the broader sense, not having people to lean, not having people who get it. You know, when Sequoia talked about, um, leaving the incubator and kind of moving back to LA or wherever she was originally. Um, And that sense of loss because she wanted to talk about things and nobody else really got it. Right. Nobody else really understood where she was coming from and her perspective. Yes. And I think it would be easy, especially on, you know, like that whole Silicon Valley, like to be like, well, people don't get it because it's such innovative technology or it's this or it's that, but really Some of it is people just don't get it because that's not part of their life experience. Like they're not entrepreneurs. They're not creating things. They're not running their own business. They're not therapists. They're not moms. They're, you know, whatever those kind of unique things that each of us have in our life and having people who get it. Right. You don't have to sort of give the backstory to. Right. Who share your perspective without you having to explain or having to explain a lot. Yeah. It means a lot. It means a lot. And you know, as a therapist, it's something, you know, eventually this person's not going to be my client <laughs> anymore. And if you sort of, I don't know, in some ways I sort of think of like, oh, I'm the, when the client leaves are kind of being released, you know, yeah. out into the world, <laughs> they're going to fly away. Um, and the thought of them doing that without a support network is really just not something we ever want. It's always like, okay, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to fix this problem? (laughs) Right. We can't quite wrap up therapy until we know that you've got somebody. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think for, I will say for me personally, the other benefit to that kind of community is it leaves room to really challenge yourself. Like it would be easy for me to talk to people who don't know or understand about, let's say, running a business, starting a business, running a business, or who are not therapists, who don't understand some of those. And for them to maybe question like decisions I'm making or ask me, you know, if I've thought about a particular issue in a different way, if they don't, if I feel like they don't get it, it's easy for me to sort of brush that off as going, well, you don't understand the intricacies of my scenario. (laughs) You don't get my struggle. You don't get it. (laughs) But, you know, like we have regular supervision, you know, among therapists and we do a lot of other things. Like if I'm talking to another therapist about an issue related to being a therapist about a clinical issue and they challenge something, either my perception of something or, you know, kind of push me to see something differently. 
I can't go. Well, you don't get it. Right. You get it. They've you, sat you, in the room. They know. Right. You know. And so it doesn't necessarily mean I agree, but I think it also sort of, it's a good setup for us to allow ourselves to be challenged and pushed to grow. I mean, I think that's a big part of being able to like grow and, and move and do things differently or learn from stuff is having people who understand. Right. Who then might go like, uh, yeah, maybe not so much. Maybe that's not the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that, and that extends beyond that professional level. Like, you know, I've talked to, you know, I just think, you know, like sometimes we'll go out, like, you know, my husband and I and like some other couples and somebody will bring something up that was like a conversation within their relationship. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a room full of other married people, they're like, mm, no, <laughs> no, no, I, I think actually you were wrong on this one or like, or I can see where you're coming from, but did you consider it just. I think allows us to let our guard down and kind of go like, oh, hmm. Right. It deepens maybe. the conversation because yeah. you know they're having similar – I mean, they know what it's like to live with somebody yeah. day in and day out and be committed to them and that kind of thing and, and yeah. what that what that takes. So it it feels weightier coming from them. It does. So. I think that's that's actually perfect. It does. It deepens the conversation. Yeah. There's a more varied like – and they get the nuance of it. Like I, mm-hmm. I think – as much as we talk about sort of, if we're talking about marriage, like yeah. as much as we talk about marriage, there's a lot of just, there's a lot of marriage that's it's sort of, you know, we can talk about in broad general ways, but there are, there's nuance. Each marriage is its own country. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who says that all the time. <laughs> and it's true. Each marriage it is. is its own country with its own rules, its own regulations, yes. all of that. But when you have somebody and they get that experience, even if their country is a little different. They still know what it's like to be, right. you know, president. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's like a room full of world leaders. Yes, they're like, <laughs> oh, something you get different. it. Yeah, but you Dude, get it. you get it. It's so hard running the United States or Russia or wherever. Wherever you are. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, it, that's, it's so true. I think probably the place I noticed it, I mean, and I periodically still notice it, is um, when he was younger, I guess maybe technically – I mean, he can still play. So, but when he was younger, my husband was a drummer. Like oh. he played a lot, um, band, you know, lots of different stuff. But he's a really good friend who's also a drummer. And so, as much as I appreciate music, his skill, like I've seen him play, and like, and we can go, we can watch like a band play live, and he'll he'll tell me things. Mm-hmm. When they're together, it's a much deeper <laughs> it's a much deeper conversation because I'm much richer, right? I'm like. You're like, it's really cool because, nice, like, they have rhythm <laughs> like you and you guys can all, like, keep the beat. Like, <laughs> where they can talk yeah. about why something is difficult or whether somebody's good or not and why they're good or not. And, like, what – they just – they see something that I can, I don't see. I'm never going to see because right. it's not my skill. And I think that's exactly what it is. It's, like, we all need that. We need a person who is looking through the same lens that we're looking through. Right. That sees that complexity, that yeah, nuance, that, that nuance that's there, that offers that richness to the conversation. That helps us in a lot of aspects of our life, in, in perhaps, un- perhaps surprisingly, <laughs> entrepreneurship. But yeah, it does. It really does. It, <laughs> it makes really it's, makes it's a difference. huge difference. Yeah. Um, 
and something that requires effort, which I will say, you know, just on a personal, like I, I tend to sort of keep a fairly small circle. Like I think I'm pretty social. I like people. I like to meet people. Um, but that deeper connection, that effort of saying like, I really need to build a community around whatever it is. Like that requires I, a lot of effort on my part to like be very conscious of doing that. Cause I tend to be fairly independent. Like I'd like to just get things done, which I think maybe is somewhat of an entrepreneurial quality. Right. It helps you strike out and do new things, but it also <laughs> means that you've got to be really mindful about saying, I need to create community around me. Right. And have I can't people. just get so lost in my own vision that I forget, like there are other people out there who can give input and help yeah. and be supportive and, and that and, kind of thing. Yeah. And broaden my view right. of what I see out there. So, yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. All right. That was a very nice conversation with her. And, mm-hmm. yeah, good to have her on the show. It was. Yeah. And we'll have to definitely keep an eye for 7 a.m. life and, and, and uh, start up you. I have to go back and yeah. <laughs> really start watching episodes on uh, on demand. Yeah. <laughs> Add it to the on-demand queue. Exactly. So let's do – I think you've got – Read, listen, watch today, right? Yes. All right. What do we got? So I have something a little more, it's not negative, but it's it's definitely a little darker. Okay. Darker? Is that the term I want? That's not the term I want either. I'm just going to say what it is. We'll say what it is and then I'll, I'll qualify it for you. I'll, I'll come you, up with You always manage to do that. Um, so it's a book I read um, a couple months ago. I finished it. And it is called Ghetto Side. Uh, basically, the book um, explores sort of black, well, not sort of, it explores black on black crime. And she was a journalist who was embedded in a police department, in the LA police department okay. for several years. So followed a few cops extensively, mm. you know, did a lot of reporting and a ton of research just basically explaining a lot of the issues that go into black on black crime, which is, you know, obviously a very difficult subject, but, you know, something that I think a lot of people have an interest in and understanding more because it seems so, it's so pervasive and it's gone on for so long and been a problem for so long that it almost feels like, well, what can we even do? There's almost like a helpless sort of- I think that, yeah. And I feel like that with that whole, with sort of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and all of those things, I do feel that there's been this resurgence of it coming up. Right. And I do feel that sense. And a lot of times when people talk about like, well, what do we do about that? Right. It's almost like it's in some ways not a part of the national conversation anymore. It's like a foregone conclusion. Like there's black on black crime and it's awful and it's a problem. And now we're eating cake. Like, we're just, we're we walking just on. That. We're just moving through yeah. because that's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, and she really does a good job of tracing the history um, of how it really became to be a problem. And also showing how, you know, how that experience of a minority group sort of infighting, how that's echoed in other societies, in other countries, that it's not just some... America, 20th century American problem. It's not unique to that. Um, Yeah, it's super good. It's, I've got to say, it's one of the best nonfiction books maybe I've ever read. Really? Got to be in my top five. Wow. Which 
I mean, I read a lot, so. I was going to say, you read a lot. <laughs> you read a lot. And, you know, as, as therapists, we have a tendency to read a lot of nonfiction exactly. on top of that, so. Um, so the book is Ghetto Side, and it is by Jill, I'm not sure how you pronounce her name, Jill Leovy. It's L-E-O-V-Y, Ghetto Side by Jill Leovy. And it came out this year. Okay. Um, or I say, yeah, it came out in 2015. Okay. Um, but it is excellent, and I highly recommend it. I actually have already, we've talked about it before, not on the podcast. Right. <laughs> and so I actually have the book. I picked up the oh. book, but it's, I have much like my on demand queue. I just have like a stack of books that a is, bedside queue. Yes. A bedside queue. Actually, they're all in the living room now. So I've got a lot <laughs> of really good books that I'm trying to make more time to read, but, um, but I, I'm eager to get into it. And one of the things I, I like books like that in part because it takes, I think sometimes the reason it's not part of our national conversation is that it's so emotionally charged right? that it's hard to have a more um, intellectual conversation about it. Like, yes, we all have very strong feelings about it sure. and, and its impact and what we should or shouldn't do about it and everybody's sort of role in it. But answering the question, like, how did we get here? Yeah. Um. I think requires being able to sort of step back from the emotional aspects of it sometimes and just look at what the history is. And so I like books like that. It's always fascinating to me. Um, Yeah. And she does a good job of blending the history with current, I say current, but current problems when she was embedded in mm -hmm. the like current cases that she was seeing. So you see individual stories, but then she pulls them, pulls the lens back into the broader context of why this is happening. I mean, she just really does a very elegant job of sort of weaving like this is the current state. This is sort of the historical picture. This is what we can you know, possibly see on the horizon. This Mm -hmm. is where progress is being made. This is not so much. Um, and she just does a, a very masterful job of it. So that sounds really interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to finally making it down, <laughs> making it down my queue, so I actually can uh, get into. I did read like the very beginning, um, like the first few pages, but I'm looking forward to getting into it. Which actually leads me. I'm going to use this as a segue sure. to therapist problems, in part because I think um, we've been talking about this. I like there's almost this expectation of how we're supposed to be because we're therapists. Yes. So, which my segue is essentially that I actually find it really fascinating to take things that are very emotionally heavy and read about, like, I just want to understand it, like right. at a very intellectual level, like give me the history, give me like kind of the, the, the framework picture. and the, you know, the process of what it looks like, which I think sometimes surprises people. Like, isn't everything on my mind always about feelings? Because I'm a therapist. <laughs> all you do all day all is I, emote, Esther. That's it. My that's your whole, whole being, being. Is just feelings all the time. Like <laughs> it's not just feelings all the time. I, you know, we've talked on occasion about like some days you just want to be mean. Like yeah. I just <laughs> I think that's one of the hardest things I've had to give up as a therapist is I can't be mean anymore. It's so <laughs> bad because nobody. I mean, nobody wants, there's, right, like, there's a stereotype of the therapist as, like, the nice, mm-hmm. like, sweet and feeling. And, like, I mean, sometimes I'm mean. Like, yeah. I, I've, I've told clients, like, anger is my default emotion. <laughs> like, I've had to learn these skills that I'm teaching you to manage my anger. 
like, I am a role model. You can, in fact, learn how to do this. <laughs> was not born this way. But there is this expectation that therapists will be, I don't know. I mean, it, it, there's there's some there's some nuance to it, but it, it's always some variation of you should be like sweet and you should mm-hmm. be like all feely all the time and, you know, always willing to take somebody else's perspective. And like, those are all things I can do. Those yeah. are all things I do at work, but I leave my office and then I don't necessarily want to do them all the time because it's exhausting. Right. Nobody can do that all the time. No. I can't feel for every single person I encounter throughout my day You'd that's never not leave my client. No. <laughs> My clients are paying me for a reason. Yes. <laughs> it's to do those skills at that time. Yes. I have famously said that on more than one occasion to both of my children, actually. They're like, is this how you talk to your clients? No, they pay me. <laughs> are you paying me? No. No. Okay. This is what you're this getting. This is what you're getting. This is the free. <laughs> well, and I think it's hard to explain and maybe hard to for people to understand, but certainly hard to explain that. In the moment, you can be the genuine, like you are genuine. Like I, I don't. Yes. I'm not doing it. I don't not fake doing this for the feelings <laughs> with my clients. Like it is genuine. I feel mm-hmm. deeply for them. I feel deeply for what's happening to them. I feel very a part of of that whatever is happening in the room, but that I can also be the person who would totally curse you out on 66 if I encountered you <laughs> randomly. Like I am both of those people simultaneously. I mean, DC traffic is a little bit like that. <laughs> no, I think it's very true. Like I, I, I do conduct myself in a particular way in the office and yeah, like, you know, I have a mouth like a sailor, which I think is shocking to people across the board. Like people yeah. are always very surprised by I'm like, yeah, no, this is actually how, how I, I talk. talk on a fairly regular basis. Like, you know, I rein it in because I, you know, was a mom. and Right. Well, we're professionals and not everybody wants to hear that and right. that kind of thing. But I know when I worked in substance abuse where we were given pretty – Yeah, we were a, given a different way. It was a different atmosphere. environment. And I would curse. And clients would just be shocked. Like <laughs> – you're cursing right now? Like the whole conversation might stop to talk about my cursing. And I'm like, I I am an adult and I curse and you guys curse. I hear you curse all the time. Yeah. Like, this is all okay. Next thing. <laughs> let's, let's continue to move let's forward. Move, let's move forward here. <laughs> yeah. I just read a really great, <laughs> it was a great article it's written by some bomb who was basically like, here's why I curse. Like I curse for my kids and here's why I'm not going to stop. Right. Oh, I saw that. I don't think I actually read it. I think I just saw the little headline. But, you know, I mean, and she made some good cases for a while. You know, part of it was I am an adult. Part of it is I've given up a lot of things as (laughs) part of just becoming a parent. Um, But I thought it was really funny. But I think beyond, you know, my foul, occasional foul mouth or maybe not so occasional foul mouth Mm. is there is sort of these expectations, even things that are, I think are a little bit more subtle. Like there's things that I will say sometimes in conversation and I literally will have friends and family being like, oh, well, that's because you're a therapist. Like, <laughs> no, those are my actual like values and opinions. Right. Regardless of what I do for a living. Like if I was a truck driver or a doctor or a lawyer, like that's just how I see the world. Like Exactly. And 
there's not a separation. Like right. I am still that person who values, you know, communication and being yeah. honest about your feelings. Like how I say it might be different when I'm not in the therapy room, although it might not be, as some of my clients Maybe. would tell you. Um, <laughs> but I'm that's still how I actually feel about the world. It's yeah. not a lie. It's not a, yeah, and it's it's not a lie, and it's not some sort of weird side effect because this is the job that I chose. Like and right. I so I feel like it sort of cuts both ways. There's sort of this expectation that I'm going to be super nice and compassionate, but also that sometimes when I am being compassionate or taking another point of view, that it gets almost dismissed as being, oh, you're just a therapist. Well, you're right. Like, of course, that's what you think because you're a therapist. Like, no, it's what I think (laughs) because it's what I think. Right. The fact that I think that way certainly helps me at my job, but I could stop being a therapist tomorrow. And I would still take still that think this way. Right. Yeah. Versus, you know, some other thing, like, I don't know, other some other profession. Like, I don't know that a lot of people get that. Yeah. Really. I don't think that, I don't know that people get that that's, you have to have that skill going into therapy, at least somewhat. Like therapy yeah. definitely hones your sort of empathy and perspective taking skills, like it definitely hones those skills, but you've got to have at least a little bit of that before you ever get into it. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever watched somebody try to do therapy who doesn't have those skills and not therapy, but try to like talk with someone, help someone who doesn't really have empathetic skills, it is painful. It is painful to watch. It is a painful process to watch. So for everyone involved, <laughs> right. We got into this because, yeah. I mean, I guess I shouldn't speak for both of us, but for me, like, I like thinking about taking a different perspective. Like I yeah. like sort of, I like, I'll, I'll say like testing my empathy muscle. Like how <laughs> far can I extend my empathy? Yeah. Like if somebody has done something that I think is really awful, can I find a way to have some sort of empathy or understanding for why they may have done that. Um, I'll do like mental tests with myself because I'm (laughs) a total weirdo. But I was doing that before I became a therapist. Like that's all tied in together. Yeah. That it isn't, um, yeah, that I'm not going to be, I don't give up certain qualities of who I am because I'm a therapist. And the qualities about who I am that are, not transcend your job yeah like they're not there just because this is the job that I picked they they were always there and it's part of me so I do think that is a challenge that's our therapy they're a therapist problem yeah that is a therapist problem well and I don't think I don't I'm I'm saying this and I'm not 100% certain it's true so I'm just gonna put it out there but I don't know that most jobs come with such weight about what it means to be that job. Like that if you're a therapist, it seems much more tied to your identity than even like a lawyer. And people make Mm -hmm. all sort of jokes and all kinds of things. But there is definitely more of a, you're a therapist, your identity must be this, I think, than in in most professions. I think that that's true too. I mean, I always think, which we've talked about, because it seems like half the therapists we know have engineer um, husbands, spouses. You know, and so I think along the same lines as lawyers, I mean, people make some assumptions like, oh, engineers, you know, they're not so social or they're not this or they're not that. But I do think that as therapists, there is a much more complex, fully developed picture of like 
who you are supposed to be out in the world and how you should be in your relationships with your kids, you know, how you conduct yourself um, that on the highway, right? That <laughs> in the grocery store, I think can be um, that can be a limiting box, which I guess sort of brings us full circle to the need for community who gets you, right? <laughs> Coming back to your therapist friends and yes. being able to sort of discuss and relate, yeah, and kind of know, yeah, yeah, who get where you're coming from. It's very cool. So, well, I'm excited for our next episode. We'll be back next week. Yes. Definitely, if you have not already, subscribe, rate, and review the show. We are on iTunes and Stitcher and all kinds of really cool places. Um, You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I am at Esther BMFT, and Erica is? I am at GTA Therapist. And um, you can use the hashtag with that being said or the hashtag therapist problems <laughs> and send us your questions. So, I mean, we obviously love, hear them. love talking about our own problems, but we also, because we are therapists and therapists always love to talk about other people's <laughs> problems. Obviously. <laughs> At the very least on this show, we do. So send us your questions, comments, um, and we will see you virtually speaking. Yes. <laughs> virtually speaking. Uh, <laughs> next week. All right. Thanks. Thanks. What'd you think of today's episode? If you're listening in the anchor.fm app, hit the button up at the top and leave us a message. You can also send us messages on Instagram or Twitter at EstherBMFT and at Ian Flats. You can send us your therapist problems, suggestions for read, listen, watch, or ideas for upcoming episodes. And with that being said, Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, anchor.fm. Catch you in the next episode.